Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat and welcome to Gospel City Church this morning. My name is Tyler Holder and I am our pastor of men's and young adult discipleship. And if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to find your way to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, If you have been with us for any stretch of time, really looking back to September to now, then what you have heard us talk about time and time and time again is what it looks like for us as a community of disciples to be a family. That's our theme for the year. That's what we've been talking about, and that's what we've been looking at over and over and over again. So this morning, as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and really as we'll be all throughout Scripture today, what we're going to do, I hope, is simply refresh ourselves on what it looks like to be a family. What we as a family do for one another, how we interact with one another, the commitments we make to one another, that's our focus and our hope this morning. And we're going to root ourselves here in Romans chapter 8, and then we're going to be all over Scripture to see how we interact with and are a part of the family of God. So I hope your eyes are on a copy of God's Word or on a screen that has it. Romans chapter 8, we're just going to look at a few verses this morning, starting in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, I wonder how many of you would say that you resemble your parents or grandparents? Just, okay, just a few of us, not, not a strong gene pool represented this morning. That's fine. We'll work through that, right? right? I, growing up, I always thought the holder genes were relatively strong because my father, when he would look at my baby picture and the picture of my eldest brother, couldn't tell it apart. I mean, there is a years of gap between us, but he would look, he'd say, that's Patrick. And my mom, always on point, would say, no, that's Tyler. And he'd say, well, that one's Tyler. And he goes, no, that's Patrick. And time and time again, my father, he just didn't know who I was. And that's fine. We've worked through that. I'm sure it's been resolved. But as we've grown up, man, I always thought, man, my genes are strong. I got strong genes in my family. And then I got married. I mean, I don't know about you, but on our first, second, third date, we didn't talk a lot about the genetic makeup of each other. We just, it just didn't happen. Maybe it happened for you on your first, second, or third date, but man, as Janelle and I got married and as we started to, to have kids, the, the thought of family resemblance, the thought of genes kind of came back into the picture. Now, now for me, my mind started to play weird things with me. Like I started to go through all the permutations that would happen for my children. Like what if they had my legs and Janelle's arms? That would be like a wonky kind of off-balance child. Or what if they had my hobbit feet? That poor child will get made fun of over and over. Or what if, heaven forbid, what if they had Janelle's ears, my eyes, her nose, my arms, her legs, my feet? What in the world will happen to this poor child? And before I knew it, the Hulk was being born to us. And I'm going, praise Jesus. Oh my gosh, what is going to happen? And then out of nowhere, Jax enters the scene. 
And man, I, I tell you, when, when Jax was born, no thought of genetic permutation entered my mind. Man, they, they give us our beautiful son, and he's got 10 fingers and 10 toes, two eyes, two ears. He's got a nose? Like, that's great, right? He's fully functioning. And then it happened. Maybe, maybe this has happened to you. If you've ever been a child, has anybody ever come up to you and said, oh my gosh, you look so much like? Has anybody ever said that to you? And they'd come up to Jax and they'd look at him, anybody that knew my father-in-law, Gary, and they'd go, sweet Joseph, you are Gary's grandson, aren't you? And up until that point, I didn't think anything about it, but then the Facebook started to show me. The Facebook started to show me things like this. Just for clarity, the colored picture is my son, 99th percentile head. The picture below is his grandfather. Now, I, I look at that and I think, okay, well, I mean, they're babies, Babies all look the same. They're a little alien in how they look. They all look the same. So, you know, that's fine. And then a couple of years pass, and then we see this picture. And, and as I look at it, I begin to think, oh, my Lord, the Goyette genes have just weeded me out of the pool. Like, it, like I'm, I'm not even in consideration anymore, right? So everybody that knows Gary is coming up to Jax going, you're Gary's grandson, aren't you? And Jax is like, well, I, I guess he's grandpa to me. Who's Gary? And, and, and just over and over again. So the, the verdict was in. The, the family resemblance was strong. Those, upper, those upstate New York genes, man, they was unquestionable who my son belonged to. And the reality is, man, is that the family resemblance is so strong. The family resemblance in my kids, they, they reflect some of my personality or some of Janelle's intelligence. They look like my grandfather, or not my grandfather, their grandfather. They, they look like and they take on the attributes of our family because they are a part of our family. And here as we look at Romans chapter eight this morning, what we'll see as we examine this passage and really look at a lot of different passages throughout the Bible this morning, what we'll see is, is that the family resemblance that we bear as a part of the family of God is so much stronger than any physical family resemblance. I mean, you look different, you act different, you are different if you're a part of the family of God. So this morning, kind of here's our game plan and where we're going to go. We're going to first kind of look at and get on the same page with the definition of what the family of God is. I think that's fair for us because we all have that weird Uncle Larry and that crazy Aunt Mary Beth. You know what I mean? So when we say family, we got to define what that looks like. Then we're going to look here at Romans chapter 8 and see how we come into the family. All of us came into God's family if we're a disciple of Jesus through the process of adoption. None of us was born into God's family the moment we took a breath. We all had to be born again to be a part of God's family. And then we'll land the plane this morning by looking at five different resolutions that as a family we can make together. But throughout all of our time together today, here's the one singular point that I hope we'll see, that adoption informs our actions. Man, if we can grasp this as a family, if we can understand that adoption, coming into the family of God, being adopted by the God of the universe, it informs every action that we take. If we can get that this morning, man, I think 2022 is gonna be a lot, a lot better than any year we've had before. You ready? Praise the Lord, one of you is, let's go. 
Let's define family of God, okay? So when, when we think about family, especially coming out of Christmas, coming out of New Year's, right, you, you all have that, like I said, that weird Uncle Larry or that Aunt Mary Beth. You see once a decade, they tell weird stories and they make Watergate salad. Nobody likes it, but they keep making it every time. No, not you. That's my family. Great. If that's on your menu, I'm super sorry if I offended you. Watergate salad's great, right? So when we think about family, when we, when we look at the church and this concept of the family of God, we, we have to be on the same page, we have to understand what the family is and what we mean when we say the family of God. So here at Gospel City, when we look at the family of God, here's what I would love for us to have as our definition. When we look about and think about the family of God, it's simply this, the new identity given at salvation that brings together people from different backgrounds into a local community in union with Christ. Man, just grasp this, that that you're given a new identity when you're born again. That who you once were, condemned and under the penalty of sin is no longer who you are through faith in Jesus. And that identity, it brings you into, it ushers you into something far greater than you've ever been a part of. It brings together people of different backgrounds into a local community that's manifested here at Gospel City or wherever you might be involved in a local church because you are in union with Christ and your union with Christ puts you in union with one another. As a family, we are called to nurture, to spiritually parent one another within this rich context, this rich mixture and matrix of intergenerational relationships. Each week as we gather together here on Sunday morning with God's family, it should feel like a family reunion. Not like the weird family reunions at the Holiday Inn, but the ones you really wanna go to. You know what I mean? As we gather together as a family, we should lean into one another. We should glean wisdom from each other. We should accept the rebuke of those that care for us. We should give wisdom to those that need it. We should be a part of one another's lives. We are a part of a community that's bonded together through Jesus Christ. So when we say family of God, that's what we mean. It begins with you being born again. And man, as you're born again, you're born into a new family. A family that is beautiful and robust. It is diverse and intergenerational. It is a beautiful family that each and every week you have an opportunity to be reunited with, to be a part of, to be around. It's a blessing to be a part of a local family of God. I gotta be honest with you, when I come to church each week, man, I get amped. I don't know if you know this about me, I'm pretty excitable. I don't know if that was clear. But I'm pretty excitable. So when I walk in the doors on Sunday morning, man, it is game time. I am so excited to be around people that love Jesus. I'm so excited to receive the wisdom that you have to give. I'm excited to be filled up in this just saturated time with one another. Man, as we walk into church on a Sunday morning, we should be anticipating the beauty of a family reunion. We should be hopeful of what God will do as we gather together. And for a lot of us, this is the high watermark in your week where you are surrounded by the greatest saturation of people that love Jesus. And man, you should be filled up each and every week. Don't waste, don't squander this time. So when we think about the family of God, when we have this grasp or this understanding of the family of God, that's what we are striving for. That's what we mean. So now, as we have the kind of this understanding of what the family of God is, put your eyes back on your copy of God's word in Romans chapter eight, and let's see how we become a part 
of this family. Do you see it? As you look through verses 14 and through 17, do you see how you become a part of the family of God? So the process of adoption. I love that Paul uses this word inspired by the Holy Spirit here in Romans chapter eight. The word adoption is, really has the same definition that we would think of today. It's when a son or a daughter who is not related by blood is brought into the family and given full access and full privilege, the same as would belong to any natural born child. Realize this, Gospel City, that your adoption happened if you're a disciple of Jesus when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And please hear me. The only way you are in the family of God is through belief in the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't will your way into it. You aren't born into it naturally. None of us was born and on day one entered into the family of God as a crying sinful baby. We were all born under the penalty of sin. We were all born under the curse of Adam and it takes us to be born again through belief, faith, and hope in the gospel to be brought into the family of God. So this morning, man, if you're here and you're sitting here and you're going, you know what, I've just been a good person or I've willed my way into it or I'm really working hard, pulling myself up by my bootstraps, I'm gonna make it someday, hear me. That's not how you get into the family of God. How you become adopted into the family of God is by realizing that God is entirely different than you. That he's holy, that he's set apart, he's different. He's not like you or me and praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord he's not like us. And that you and I are separated from this holy God by our sin and our sin creates a chasm between us so we can't become a part of his family were it not for his perfect, beautiful, sinless son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died the substitutionary death for all who would believe and now the invitation is given to you if you are yet to be a part of the family of God to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Because the family of God, it's reserved for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, by the revelation of scripture alone. That's how you enter into God's family. And this morning, if you haven't done that, praise Jesus, the invitation is for you. It's extended to you even now to become a part of this family. But for those of us that have repented of our sins, that have placed our faith in Christ alone, that have experienced this regeneration, this adoption, what we see here in Romans chapter eight is that as a child of God, we are led by God's spirit. Do you see it there in verse 14? Paul's writing, he says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. I love that Paul begins that way. How many of you, when you get into your car, willingly enter into a relationship with your friend Siri? to lead you somewhere, nobody? You don't ever ask Siri, Siri, take me too. And she does, isn't it great? Like we've all become dumb because of that, right? You just enter, hey Siri, take me to Target. And she says, which one? And you go, I have a choice. Oh my gosh, Pray, where do I wanna go today? Southside, Mishawaka, I don't know, Balpo, maybe if I'm crazy, right? We all enter into these willing relationships where we're being led, don't we? We all have an experience, we all know what it's like to be led. How many of you ladies on a first date tell that guy, it doesn't matter where you go to eat? Y'all, come on, you're just testing him to see if he'll lead you in the right way. Is it Golden Corral? No second date after that. (laughs) 
Is it Ruth's Chris? Maybe he's got some money. Is it somewhere in between? Cheddars? Okay, we can do that. They got salmon. It's fine, right? We, we all know, we all, I don't have any idea. If you went to Golden Crown on your first date and you're happily married, praise Jesus for you. <laughs> we can talk later. We all kind of have an understanding of what it's like to be led, don't we? We all willingly enter into these experiences where we're being led, but the question for the child of God, for those that have been adopted into God's family, isn't, man, am I gonna go to Cheddar's or Golden Corral? The question that really reverberates in our soul is what is leading me? What in, in my life is leading me? How am I making my decisions? How am I processing the pain and the hurt and the joy and the excitement of life? What is it that I'm following? As children in God's family, man, when, when we're led by God, what that really means for you and I in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, what that means, it, it's not a hard phrase for us to grasp. It, it's a beautiful thing. Because the leading of the Spirit, being led by God's Spirit, is not mystical. It's it's not some mystical direction where kind of the Holy Spirit spells out in your cereal what you should do that day. That's not what being led by the Spirit is. It's not some ecstasy that you feel when you kind of make a decision. It's simply this, to be led by God's Spirit is allowing the Spirit to empower you for the mortification of fleshly desires. To be led by the Spirit is depending on the Spirit to kill the things in you that shouldn't be there anymore as a child of God. And how are you being led? If you're a child of God, if you're a son or a daughter of God, man, what have you allowed into your life to lead you? Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you putting to death the things in your life that you know as a child of God should no longer be there? The sin that entangles you that you used to identify with, are you actively pursuing its demise? As a son or a daughter of God, to be led by the Spirit is to actively put to death those things. So as you consider your adoption, ask yourself this week, what's leading you? What is it that you're following? Not only that, but notice as God's child, we have severed all ties to our former family. Notice verses 15 and 16. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I love that Paul kind of puts a juxtaposition for us here in our passage. There's two different things that are identified here. It's the spirit that leads to death, that's the spirit of slavery, or the spirit by which we can call the God of the universe, Abba, Father. And here's the reality for you. And here was the reality for me, that we're born in the spirit of slavery, that we're born in the spirit of fear and of death, and there's nothing we can do about it in and of ourselves. But what God does through the beauty and the power of the gospel, through the drawing of the Holy Spirit, he convicts your heart, and then all of a sudden, you realize that And if I were to repent of my sins and come into the family of God, I no longer have to be enslaved. I can be free. Let me put it this way. For me, I spent 17 years of my life condemned, following the spirit of slavery. I don't know if that's your story, but for me, at 
At 17 years old, that's when the gospel really awakened my heart. And up until that point, what I pursued was everything I desired. Whether it be drugs, sex, alcohol, it didn't matter. I was fun, I was exciting, I was a high school student, and I was playing sports, I was kinda intelligent, sorta kinda not really the best student, but not the worst, right? There was always somebody that was better than me, but I was always better than somebody else in my mind, playing that game. I mean, I would pursue my own pleasure. And the reality is, is that what I was pursuing was death. I was enslaved to my own sinful pleasure. And at 17 years old, when the gospel kind of shattered my world, when it came breaking down around me, I wish I could say that, man, from that point to now, it has been nothing but smooth sailing. That the the spirit of adoption that I can call God Abba, Father, man, it has satisfied me and I've had no desire to go back to my former way of life, but that's just not true. Because 17 years created habits for me. 17 years created ruts in my life where I was used to doing things that would enslave me, would bring me death that I thought was bringing me satisfaction. As a child of God, you're no longer identified by the spirit of slavery. You're now identified by the spirit that allows you to call God Abba, Father. Just let that sink in for a second, that you have an opportunity through the gospel to call the God of the universe your daddy. And that he, through the power of the gospel and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, has the ability to take what has been broken and make it new. But please hear me. As you're led by the Spirit, you must sever the ties to your family of origin. Not your physical family, but the family of origin that declared slavery over you. That you followed in pursuit of sin that brought you death and pain, that brought fear upon you. That, man, for 17 years I was condemned, I was under that spirit of slavery. And when I repented of my sins, it has been a process of severing ties, of breaking free through the Spirit's power of the sin that so easily entangles me. I mean, I gotta be honest with you, it's a daily fight for me. Maybe you got it all figured out, I don't yet. But it is a battle for me. So with the Holy Spirit's help, we sever ties with our former family. But please hear me. You still, as a child of God, have the ability to impact those who have not yet responded to the gospel that are still living under the spirit of slavery. So let us not be so quick to break off all of our physical ties. Let us be quick to pursue holiness and righteousness, accountability, prayer, and God's word in a community, in a family of God. But let us also remember that there are those who need the beauty of the gospel, who need to be a part of the family of God. And let us proclaim to them the beauty and the truth that is the gospel. Severing ties with your former family means that you personally are actively putting away and putting to death all that you formerly identified with. And you're putting on all that you now are as a child of God. You as a son or daughter of the king are no longer condemned. If you don't believe me, then just look up a few verses earlier in Romans chapter eight, verse one. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You sever ties with your former family. You break away from the sin that has entangled you and it's not by your own muster or strength, it's by the Spirit's power as you're being led by him. But notice, as a child of God, do you see it in our final verse? As a child of God, you are, we are co-heirs with Christ. Notice verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I love it because as a part of God's family, you're not just his child, right? You're not just his child, but you are a co-heir with Jesus. And here's what this means. As co-heirs, we share in the same trials of life and the same benefits of a life lived for God's glory and his renown. I mean, being an heir means that with Jesus, you are gonna endure the same trials, the same degradation that he did, but you are also going to enjoy the same benefit, the same glory that he did. As a child of God, you are a co-heir, promised the same things that Jesus Christ has promised. The promise here in verse 17 is that the child of God, as a co-heir, will claim all that Christ has also claimed. What belongs to him also belongs to us. As a child of God, you're an heir or an heiress with Jesus. You are royalty through adoption. You are entitled to inherit all that God has promised his son. And that's a beautiful thing. And realize that as a child of God, as an heir or an heiress, as you enter into God's family through the gospel, realize that you're not just given the fun things that Jesus gives us, but you're also promised to endure the trials that he too endured. And that's okay. As a child of God, you endure through God's strength through the spirits working in you the willing trials that come by following Jesus. So as a child of God, you are an heir with Christ. As a child of God, you have this new family to call your own. So you have severed ties with all your former families. And as a child of God, you are led by the Spirit. So that's who you are if you're a part of the family of God. So in the next 10 or so minutes, let's look at five different resolutions that we as children of God should make together. I'm gonna stand right here because if I don't, then I'm gonna wander around and they're gonna get mad at me because it's all gonna be on the screen, right? As an adopted child in God's family, we have to make some resolutions. And the first resolution that you must make as an adopted child is that you will reset your thoughts on family. First John chapter three, verse one. I love what John says. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. All throughout the epistle of 1 John, he uses this familial language. He uses children, sons, fathers, family. The implication that John has when he's writing is that, man, the church that he's writing to, they know one another. They care for one another. They're involved in each other's life. And they love one another. They're a part of a community that's dependent upon each other. There's intergenerations. John at this point is over 90 years old and he's writing this letter. There is a beauty when it comes to the family of God. And man, I just gotta be honest with you. 
that being a part of Gospel City Church these last five, six years, I have been on the receiving end of the, of the family of God that is Gospel City. That you as a church time and time again have blown me, have blown my wife away with the love, joy, strength, rebuke that has come from this family. That there is such joy, that there is such excitement on the family that is here at Gospel City. So realize that when we reset our thought, I'm gonna move over here, I can't, that's just, I'm too ADD for that. that I promise I'll walk back. When we reset our thoughts on family and grasp what the family of God is, realize that we have a new identity that brings us together. Realize that we begin to depend upon one another. Do me a favor and just look at the person to your right and to your left and realize that who you're with right now, if they call Gospel City home, if they've repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Christ, then you are dependent upon them that you need them and they need you. That there must be an interdependency on one another. When we reset our thoughts on family, we realize how important those around you truly are to you. And I can't tell you how many times those sitting in this room have come through for Janelle and I. Not just in physical things, man. It's the random text that, man, I'm praying for you. I thought about you, the Lord puts you on my heart. I don't know why, you're doing okay. To the, hey, I saw this meme and I thought of you. I'm like, okay, I'm an idiot, thanks. Right? And there is beauty when we reset our thoughts on family. When you realize that you, you need those around you. You need those around you to help you in your hurts. You need those around you to help you in your highs. You need those around you to give you hope. The family that is here at Gospel City, if you call this place home, needs you and you need it. And when we reset our thoughts on family, we realize that simply sitting here for one hour isn't enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to build relationships with one another, which leads us to our second resolution, and it's simply this. As an adopted child in God's family, I resolve that I will commit to helping and serving the family. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11 declare that above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love how Peter puts it in verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, realize being born again into God's family means that you have a gift. And and hear me, the body of Christ, this family needs your gift. No gift is too small. No gift is too great. What I love about our church is that there are so many opportunities to use and develop the gift that God has given you. We are interdependent on one another. We are strengthened by the use of our gifts. I think of the gifts that high schoolers have when they reach back and disciple middle schoolers. I think about the young adult who is passionate about justice, who's involved with Africans Reaching Africa or Transformation Ministries or Hope. I think about the senior adult, and this is crazy. If you have gray hair this morning, you have this weird ability to take a crime 
terrifying person and make them stop? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's when you just hold a child and you have this sweet grandmother or grandfather touch. I think of the countless senior adults who hold crying babies, who engage our children, whether it be at mom's morning or just 100 yards that way during a service. I think of the creative types whose brains are weird and they're hardwired, just awkward and different, but yet they use their gifts that God has given them to build up the body of Christ. I think of our elementary boys and girls who at this very moment in Cornerstone are leading their peers in worship. Do you realize you have a gift? And if you're a part of this family, you need to use your gift in this family. Your first default should be, how can I use what God's given me in the family that I'm a part of? Your second question should be, if I have time, capacity, energy, how can I use that gift to serve the body of Christ globally? But man, so many of us have missed the mark. Use the gift that God has given you. He's given it to you for a reason. He's given it to you for a purpose. He's given it to you to be used within the family you are a part of. So if this is your home, and if you call Gospel City home, there's no reason why you shouldn't be using your gift. You have a gift, resolve to use that gift to serve and care for the family that God has given you. The third resolution we make as an adopted child in God's family is simply this, that we will resolve to love my brothers and sisters. I love uh, this passage in John 13. I think it's on the screen. Maybe it's not on the screen. Praise the Lord. It is. Hey, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The demarcation of being a part of the family is the love we have for each other. And again, I just have to commend you, church. You are known as a loving church. That each and every week when we stand up here and when we close our time together on Sunday, when we say you are loved, we mean it from the depths of our hearts. But yet, as much as we're known by our love, we also have a tendency at times to treat God's family like we treat our blood family at times. I mean, we can get frustrated or sideways, upset, angry, passive aggressive. We can disapprove of decisions. We can Monday morning quarterback any decision that leadership makes. And my heart breaks for those that maybe in this room have been hurt by the church, have been hurt by those who are disciples of Jesus that aren't characterized by love. For me, my story with you at Gospel City is that, man, I have been loved and cared for by you. My story overall in my life is that I have also been hurt by the church. That man, years ago when I was serving and pouring myself out, thinking that I was doing something great for the Lord, man, I was hurt by the church. That caused Janelle and I to walk away from ministry for about four years before we came here. But here's the beauty of it, is that being a part of the family means that sometimes I'm gonna be hurt by the family. And when I am, I go to those in my family and talk to them about it. I don't carry that burden with me to another family down the street. 
I address the issue. I love and care for my brothers and my sisters. I have to. I have to because that's what it means to be a part of the family of God. Being brought into this family through faith in Jesus. Man, I'm gonna get hurt. I'm gonna get kind of sideways. I'm, I'm gonna get, well, I'm not gonna agree with everything you do. And, and you're not gonna agree with everything I do. But man, being a part of the family committed to my brothers and my sisters means I'm gonna be known by love. I'm not gonna be known by my anger and my frustration. And that man, if I get sideways, if I get frustrated, I'm gonna go to my brother and my sister in love and talk to them about it. As an adopted child in God's family, number four, I resolve that I will seek older men or women to build relationships with, and I will seek younger men or women to build relationships with. This is so important. Because remember, the body of Christ is intergenerational. And remember, the body of Christ, each and every one of us, if we're a disciple, we have a gift. And remember that the body of Christ is full of wisdom that God has given you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't believe me? Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two declares, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. There is an intergenerational component within the family of God. I had a guy who took a weird interest in me when I was in my early 20s. His name's Old John. Old John was in his 60s at the time. He had retired early and man, he loved Jesus and he loved me and my family and he would sit with me for hours and he would hear my complaints about life and he would hear my struggles with my marriage and struggles with parenting. He'd hear my struggles in ministry and the beautiful thing about old John is that he would provide perspective. And to this day, and I know I can call John and I can talk with him for 10 minutes and feel like we've never been apart. And to this day, I know John prays for me, cares for me, and loves me. That as an early 20s guy, this 60-year-old man took an interest in me and pursued me to build relationships with me so that I might have a better perspective of what the family of God is. To this day, he's one of the men that I miss most from my time in Virginia. Realize, senior saint, older adult, there are those that you're sitting around right now that desire your input and impact. Please don't squander the years you have. Reach back and pull up those that are younger than you, invest in them, care for them, mentor them, love them, show them the way of Jesus. And younger men and women realize that there are older men and women sitting around you that you should pursue as well. It's okay to ask somebody if they'll invest in you to pour into you and be with you and care for you and provide perspective for you. That's why things like hope classes or hope groups are so great. 
That's why things like small groups are so valuable. That's why things like mentoring and all of these different components where we can grow in our relationships with one another are so valuable. Don't squander the opportunity as a disciple in the family of God. Lastly, as an adopted child in God's family, I resolve that I will be committed to intentional relationships. Hebrews chapter 10 declares, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is a difference between our last resolution and this one. Our last resolution, we were committed to intentional relationships with an individual. This resolution, we are committed to intentional relationships and gospel friendships overall. Intentional relationships, they are found when we go from a group of five to 600 to a group of eight to 12. Intentional relationships, we are building those with peers and mentors alike. Intentional relationships are grounded in groups where I can know others and be fully known by them. Intentional relationships are worth the effort. Intentional relationships involve accountability and prayer, scripture and fellowship and community. Intentional relationships are essential for vitality and fruitfulness in the life of a disciple. Intentional relationships, they take time and they're risky because you have to be vulnerable. And intentional relationships, by the way, are messy and ugly and that's okay. As a disciple of Jesus in the family here at Gospel City Church, can I admonish you? Pursue intentional relationships with others through smaller contexts than just Sunday morning. Yes, build relationships with older men or older women or younger men or younger women. That's valuable, absolutely. But there is so much value when you go from five, 600 to eight to 12 around the dining room table. You begin to forge the familial bonds that will last for generations. God knows the value of these intentional relationships and he knows that we should pursue them and he knows that when we do, what ends up happening is we stir one another up as Hebrews 10 declares to love and good deeds and as a, an adult, I wanna pursue these. As a student, I wanna encourage you to pursue them. As a retiree, you should pursue them wherever you are, in whatever capacity you are, be committed to the intentionality of relationships within the body of Christ. So these are our resolutions as a family. So as we land the plane this morning and as we come to a close, here is the invitation. The invitation for you is to be a part of the family. It's simple. It's simple. Just be a part of the family. If you call Gospel City your home, if you've been redeemed through the gospel, then be a part of this family. Resolve as a disciple to be active in the family. Resolve as a disciple to show love and care for those in the family. Start this week. There's no reason why you should wait. Be intentional about building relationships with one another through small groups and gospel friendships. And the invitation for you, if you aren't a part of the family yet, is to repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Allow today to be the day where you're born again into the family of God. Here's my hope for our church. My hope for our church as we come into a new year, my hope is that we would be passionate about the pursuit of family together.
that we would be models of this redeemed family of God here in Michiana. And we would be actively engaged. We would love and care for those within our family. And that ultimately that what we experience here would be replicated around the world. That's my hope. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you value family, that you have given us the institution of family, that you have provided us through the power of the gospel the opportunity to be involved in your family. That we no longer are under the spirit of slavery, but through the power of the gospel, we are now adopted into your family and we can call you Abba, Father. So Father, help us to be a part of that family. Help us to care and love for those in the family and may this year be the year where we intentionally pursue one another in family together. Father, we love you. Amen.